Some of you looking for me to preach. This is my birthday. I'm not going to preach on my birthday. There's some things a man just takes for, you know, we're not going to do. Several years ago, you know how I am about evangelists and all. I, I look for those that I believe are God called, that love the ministry and love the Lord and not interested in building a reputation or building up money or anything. And, and uh, I asked Brother Jim Moss if he would back six or eight months ago. I said, give me a, a week that you've got open. He said, Brother, I don't have a week open. Uh, there's not a week open. Uh, this guy is like other evangelists we've had, preaches year-round. And I said, well, do you have a Sunday open? He said, well, I've got a Sunday morning, October the 8th. And I thought, that's my birthday. That'd be a great day to have him come. Uh, Brother Jim's been in evangelism for 17 years. He's pastored before then in several churches, Arkansas. And I think the last pastor was First Baptist Church, St. Augustine, uh, for 10 years there. And brother, if you can stay in St. Augustine 10 years, I'll tell you right now, you can, you can meet any battle there is. Amen. <laughs> And this morning, he joined his lovely wife, Rita, is here with him, too. Rita, would you just stand up so people can see you? She, amen. Thank you so much for being here. She doesn't get to go with him a lot of places, but she was able to today. So I just want to invite you. you. You're fixing to hear a man of God preach the word of God to the people of God. And let's pray that God would just fall fresh on this place. And we'll have church up in here this morning. Brother Jim, you come. Make yourself at home this morning. I want to thank this dear pastor for the confidence that he has in me to uh, yield his pulpit and preaching on his birthday. Brother Charles has become a dear friend, but I want to move and hasten on to say that I praise the Lord and thank God for such a tremendous anointed time of worship here this morning. Thank you, Brother Aaron, instrumentalist praise team, and devoted choir. My, 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 just a little taste of heaven right here this morning. And I want to thank you as a great church. For several years, I have heard of the tremendous work you do for the Lord in ministry, both near and far. I just come humbly this morning to thank you for all that you do for the kingdom work. As a matter of fact, I'm overwhelmed with your ministry, and I'm thinking about the little boy that had his first girlfriend. He was probably 11, 12 years old, and her parents had invited him over for evening dinner. Well, after school, he talked his mother into taking him by the pharmacy to buy a gift for his little girlfriend for that evening. He walked into the pharmacy and up to the pharmacist and said, I'd like three boxes of candy. I'd like a $3 box, a $5 box, and a $10 box. The pharmacist said, well, why the description in the prices of candy? He said, well, I'm going over to my girlfriend's house tonight, and I heard she had a swing on her front porch, and if she lets me hold her hand, that's a $3 box of candy. If she lets me put my arm around her, that's a $5 box. 
And if she lets me give her a good juicy kiss on the cheek, that's a $10 box of candy. Well, he got all three boxes and off to home he went. Late that evening, his mother dropped him off at his girlfriend's house. She met him at the door. The meal was prepared. The table was set. They immediately invited him to sit down at the table. Her dad looked at him and said, how about you saying grace over the meal? He bowed his head, he began to pray, and he thanked the Lord for the day. He thanked the Lord for his girlfriend and called her and her parents out by name. He thanked the Lord for his mom and daddy and all of his siblings called them out by name. He thanked the Lord for his church. He even called his pastor out and praised and thanked the Lord for him. He thanked the Lord for his Sunday school teacher. He thanked the Lord for the privilege of going to church every Sunday. He even thanked the Lord for some missionaries that he had in his church, he remembered. He thanked the Lord for his president and prayed for him, and he went on and on. And finally, he said, amen. His little girlfriend said, I didn't know you were so religious. He said, I didn't know your daddy was the pharmacist either. <laughs> amen. Well, I want to submit to you, you get the $10 box of candy from my wife and I. What an honor it is to be in God's presence. I feel so undeserving and unworthy this morning because I have heard through various other pastors, along with your pastor, the tremendous great preachers under the leadership and direction of Brother Hunt that you've had behind this pulpit over the years. Great denominational leaders. I feel unworthy, and to be honest with you, I'm somewhat nervous. You can ask my wife. I've been trying to preach for 43, nearly 44 years. I'll be 58, the Lord willing, this December. By the way, happy birthday, Pastor. And I started when God placed the call upon my life that I recognized at the age of 14. I'm about as nervous this morning as I was when I turned 15 and the student body of our high school asked me to speak at the General Assembly for Thanksgiving. They heard I was a young preacher. Well, I graduated Pine Bluff High, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. It was a large 5A school. We had over 2,200 in the student body, those three grades. There were over 400 faculty members sitting in the gymnasium along with the student body. Here I am 15 years old and I worried myself sick over that. I went to my dad. My dad was a godly man. I said, Dad, I, I'm scared to death. I said, my history teacher's gonna be there in the bleachers and I'm afraid I'll mess up on my dates. My English teacher's gonna be there and I'm certainly gonna be graded how I chop up the English language. I said, my speech teacher's gonna be sitting out there and I've already had trouble with the first speech. I said, I don't know what to do. My dad gave me the best advice. He said, Jimmy, just preach the Bible. They won't know anything about that. <laughs> so I'm just gonna preach the Bible this morning, amen? Not to insinuate you don't know anything about the Bible. I know that you're a Bible student here in this church. You love the Lord. And I'm excited for the privilege to preach. I said all of that to lead up to this because I'm a little reluctant, a little hesitant in announcing my text. Because 
immediately when I announce the text for the sermon this morning, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, I already know all of that. I already know all of that. Now, this is familiar territory, and I'm praying the Holy Ghost of God will give us fresh truth. But I'm afraid when I announce this text, there is a danger, and uh, because we're on such familiar ground, the danger is the proverb familiarity breeds contempt may never be more true because we're all familiar with this text. But I want to share with you what is deemed the gem of all literature, and praise God, it is inspired. I call it one of the seven wonders of the literary world. I invite you this morning to turn to the 23rd Psalm, Psalms 23. Indeed, it is such a wonderful passage, the 23rd Psalm. It is a passage that's so sweet to a little child and yet perplexing to a scholar. The 23rd Psalm is so deep that the scholars over the ages have walked up to its banks and dove in without ever touching bottom. But yet the Psalm is so simple, explicit, that our children can walk up to the banks of this Psalm and bend over and drink without fear of drowning. No wonder this passage has been quoted in the nursery room as well as on the battlefield. It's also been quoted at the time of one's death as well and the beginning of holy matrimony in a couple's life. Join me in these six verses of the 23rd Psalm. Here David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I, somebody say I, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I hope and pray today that you come with your shout on. God has already moved among us such powerful singing, these tremendous sermons that we've heard in song. And to be honest with you, I prayed about trying to polish up, but I am who I am. I'm just an old-fashioned Bible-believing Baptist preacher, amen? I believe uh, that the Word of God is inspired and errant, infallible, and I came with my hanky-shaving, Jesus-loving, devil-shoving kind of sermon today. And I'll tell you, like uh, I used to tell churches, I'm like one of those old coal engine trains. The more coal you shoved it, the faster it was going, and the quicker it'd get to where it was going. The more amens you give me, the faster I preach, and the sooner I get finished. Amen? 
All right, I thought that would get your attention. For the sake of time today, I'd like to focus on one verse of the six for our main preaching material. Notice with me again verse number four. Verse number four, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This morning, I want to share with you a sermon entitled, Truths from Three Tremendous T-Words from our text. Once again, some truths from three tremendous T-Words from our text. There are three tremendous T-Words home that Saturday afternoon, praise God, I was not traveling, my revival was just driving distance away the next morning. So we were home and received a phone call, I noticed it was my son, I answered and all I could hear in the background was wailing and crying and moaning, and he was hesitant trying to gasp for air to speak, and he said, Daddy, bad wreck. At house, and about that time, a passerby took his phone and asked permission to be able to move our daughter-in-law from the vehicle. It was on fire, and it was about to explode. I'm here to let you know today, just like so many of you have faced in life, our life was turned on a dime. That afternoon, our family was altered forever. Rita was in the other room, and she knew something something had happened and she rushed in and I said let's go baby a wreck Jeremy and Amanda and we were 20 mile uh, minutes out and we arrived just shortly after the EMS and the fire department and we managed to be there and to assist and I knew some of the godly EMS and I began to assist them and I thought my son had died in my arms as we lowered him down on a board on the pavement Rita ran to Amanda as she was on a board in the middle of the highway, not knowing the severity of their injuries. We needed something that we had built a foundation on. And praise God this morning, our anchor holds, and it's in Jesus Christ our Lord. On the way I thought about, yea, though I walked through the valley of the shell of death, and I also thought about how that I preached for all these years, how that I've encouraged, how that I have stood with those families, held their hand, prayed with them, 
and now I'm experiencing that which I have preached. But our God's so good, amen? And from that text, I wish to give you this message. For these three words have helped me more than any words in God's word. I want you to notice the first T word. David said, yea, though. He didn't say nay. He said, yea, though. When we see that word though, it magnifies the dark possibilities that we face in this life. And then he says, yea, though I walk through. Somebody shout with me this morning. Aren't you thankful that God not only leads us to a valley, but he always brings us through the valley. It magnifies the determined purpose that God has for each one of our lives. Yea, magnifies the dark possibilities that we face from day to day. But through reminds us of that determined purpose. God's going to get us on the other side. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For here's the third tremendous T word. Thou art with me. Thou art with me. The same thou that the choir sung about this morning. The same thou that the silent worshipers worshiped to this morning. The same thou that the worship leader and the instrumentalist led us in this morning. The same thou that you give your dollars and your time and effort to witness and to minister. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's the God of you and I this morning. Give him praise in his house today. David said, Thou art with me. Not only do we see a dark possibility in though, not only do we see a determined purpose in through, but what a delightful promise. Thou art with me. Will you let me back up just for a few moments? and kind of camp out a little while on these three words. I want you to notice, first of all, again, the first word, yea, though, magnifying the dark possibility. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David understood those dark possibilities that became realities in his life whether it be the valley of death for you and I, as it was almost for our family. Some of you have experienced death of loved ones. Some of you, God forbid, have buried children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Wasn't intended to be that way, but that's how it was. I'm still grateful that we serve a sovereign God. He owes us no explanation. He can do whatever he chooses, when he chooses to do it, with whom he chooses to do it with. Miss Mary came up to me in the foyer, and my wife, and she introduced herself. I remember her from preaching revivals at Pine Forest in Hallsville. She introduced herself as Jack Walton's grandmother. Jack Walton's a dear friend. He and Aaron with Rita and I, just, just you have and we have for over a year, we prayed for little Noah, God chose to take his life. God gave him the ultimate healing. Whether it's the valley of the shadow of death in your life or mine, whether it's not only death or perhaps disease, 
Maybe you've got the dreaded news from your doctor that it's not a good outcome for you, good diagnosis. Maybe your child has gone away from faith. Maybe your spouse, God forbid, walked out on you. Whether it's the valley of death, disease, whether it's the valley of disaster, as so many are facing with the hurricanes and with the tragedy that uh, happened just a week ago this evening, whether it's the valley of disappointment, discouragement, discontent, the fact of the matter is every man, woman, boy, or girl under the sound of my voice this morning, we go through such valleys in this life. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shell of death. Can I give you a little Bible this morning? Are you aware there is a literal valley of the shell of death? I've had the privilege of standing in that valley on two different occasions. Geographically, the valley began centuries and centuries before Christ as a spring on the east side of the Mount of Olives there in Jerusalem. And over the centuries, this spring became a small river, and it cut chasms through the mountains, which was from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea or Jericho area. Now, it's 20-something miles from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was known as the health resort of the day. And uh, Jerusalem is about 1,300 miles above sea level. Jericho, Dead Sea, is about 1,300 feet below sea level. Let me back up. Jerusalem, 1,300 feet above. Jericho, 1,300 feet below. 20-something miles this river cut chasms in the mountains as high as some 1,500 feet in height. The valley of the channel of death is not only some 1,500 feet in height, but it's very narrow, some 20 or 30 feet wide. The trees overhanging the valley gives off these grotesque shadows, making it nearly pitch black at high noon. You remember David slew bears and slew lions. This valley, bears and lions roam. Also other predating animals such as hyenas and jackals. It was also an opportune place for thieves and robbers to hang out. In the wintertime, the shepherds would take their sheep from Jerusalem because of the cold winter and carry them down through the valley of the shadow of death to Jericho to winterize their sheep in the wintertime. But it posed such tremendous problems to these shepherds because they risked their own survival. And David was well familiar with the valley of the shadow of death. And so this morning, I want you to think about this. I'm so glad today that there's another verse that's dear to my heart on the afternoon of that accident. Psalms 34, verse number 19 came to my mind. And the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But hold on, how many of you understand today? Not a few, not some, but many are the afflictions to you and I who are saved by the grace of God. We're going to have them. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but notice this. 
But he, but he, somebody say he, our Lord has delivered him from all of them. Woo! Praise God today. Amen. Give him praise. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 10, but the God of all grace who hath called us into his own glory by Christ Jesus, after that he hath suffered a while, make ye perfect and established and strengthen and settle you. Peter said, God's the God of grace, and we know that he is. Peter also in this verse reminds us that God's the God of glory, and we give him glory today with our praise. But it also reminds us that God's the God of grief. Grace, glory, and grief. God feels our pain. He knows where we are. He knows who we are. How many thank God that he found you when you weren't searching for him? He came to your location and he called you by name like he did Zacchaeus. And when he found you, he fetched you by the Holy Spirit of God. And now he favors you being your child and his child. I tell you what, Pastor mentioned to pray for our nation leading up to the Franklin Graham time of prayer for our nation. We're living, and any old pecker can preach what's wrong with society. I'm here to preach what's right with the Savior. But in a time of perilousness, in a time when people are indifferent, the indifference of the people and their immoral practices with their insincere praying, you and I still have reason to shout about. We still have reason to shout about. I can give you three reasons right now at the top of my head. Number one, we can shout because we're saved by grace. Number two, we can shout because we're sealed by God. And number three, we can shout because we're slated for glory. You see, when you got saved, if you know the Lord, when you became the righteous of God and you trusted Jesus, like these two candidates of baptism today, believers in Christ, what an honor it is to be in a service when you see professions of faith through baptism, knowing that this young man and young lady trusted Jesus as their personal Savior. When you experience this, you know Jesus, you know the Lord moves in. Amen? I remember before I ever went to college or seminary, right out of high school, Brother Hunt, a church called me to be their pastor. I was 18, full-time church. Now, what do you know when you're 18? You think you know everything, but you know very little. Rita and I were not even married. We had our date for our wedding set, everything announced, planned, and prepared. The church called me two and a half months before our wedding they didn't want me to move into the parsonage by myself. They wanted it to be special. Rita and I had come in the first night together. So one of the church members had a little place, and they put me up in it. They're out from their home. And 18 years old now, for two and a half months, I had my own place. 
right out of mom and dad and into my own pad. I'm letting you know that I developed my own philosophies for housekeeping those two and a half months. One philosophy was, why make up a bed if you're going to get right back in it tonight? to that second point anyway. Here you go, brother, if you just take this from me. Thank you, Brother Aaron. Y'all don't think nothing about this. I'm used to going to little country churches. Rita, I tell you, I was in one in South Arkansas. She was there. You got it, brother? Take that off. Oh, you got to undress to get one of these microphones off. I was in South Arkansas in a little church called Locust Bow. They didn't have a nursery facility. This baby got to screaming to the top of its voice while I was preaching. And I said, well, I'll just preach a little louder than the baby crying. So I got louder and louder. About that time, the little mother got up and she was making her way out in the middle aisle. And I knew the only place she could go was home. There wasn't anywhere to take her baby. And I just stopped my sermon, didn't I, honey? And I said, ma'am, I said, don't you please, please don't leave. I said, come on back. I said, your baby's not bothering me. She turned around and she said, no, but you sure are bothering my baby. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> well, somebody tell me there's no valleys without mountains. And uh, there's no darkness without a light. The scholars call this the trilogy of Psalms. Psalms 22, 23, and 24. Those three Psalms, by divine command of the Holy Spirit of God, we have them in order. Psalms 22 is a mountain psalm, if you read it. It pictures a witness at the crucifixion of Christ, a prophetic psalm prophesying what he sees at the crucifixion of our Lord. It talks about Mount Calvary. So Psalms 22 is a mountain psalm, Mount Calvary. I call it the Savior's cross. If you read Psalms 24, it too is a mountain psalm. We sung about it. These are the days of Elijah. When salvation comes from the holy hills of Zion, 
And the last two verses of that psalm remind us that he indeed is King of kings and Lord of lords when he returns to Mount Zion. So you've got the Savior's cross in Psalms 22. You've got the Sovereign's crown in Psalms 24. But Psalms 23, you have the shepherd's crook, the valley psalm. When you go through a valley, when you have some difficult times, some of you are facing them right now. Listen, there's the promise. Look back to Mount Calvary and remind yourself what Jesus did for you there. Look forward to the day when he's coming again, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You can make it through any valley. Yea, though I walk through. My goodness, I'm about out of time. Y'all not going to dock me for that five minutes, Brother Aaron, are you, for changing mics? I kind of like a commercial anyway. When I was pastoring First Baptist St. Augustine, like you, we had a tremendous bus and van ministry, and my wife worked in the GAs for years. and We would have many, a hundred, better than a hundred on Wednesday night. One of the little girls came to church for her first church service. And I'm standing in the foyer, and I was told that was the first time she had been to church. And I made a fatal mistake. I shook her hand and called her by name. And I asked her how she enjoyed her first church service. <laughs> she said, the music was just fine, but the commercial was too long. <laughs> Yea, though I walk through magnifies the determined purpose. David was an old man when he wrote this psalm, but he was a young man when he walked it. David understood what it was to go through valleys just like you and I. David went through the valley of suffering when Saul set out to persecute him. He went through the valley of slander when they brought false accusations against him. He went through the valley of sin. David was not a good man, but he was a great man when it came to repentance and God heard his prayer and forgave him of his sin. He went through the valley of sorrow when that little child, babe, died and David came out of his chambers and said, I cannot bring that child back, but I can go where he is, Sora. And then his old son, when he said four times, Absalom, oh Absalom, Absalom, oh Absalom, I would that I could die for you, Sora. But even in the midst of these valleys, David said, yea, though I walk, through the valley. I take solace in great singing, in great songs. There's a contemporary group many of you are familiar with called Mercy Me. The lead singer of that group going through some dark, dark days. God gave him a lyric of a very popular song. He wrote these words. He said, it's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, 
My hope is in you alone. Oh, it's been about a month or two ago. Rita and I had dropped our daughter, their kids off. We had about an hour to go to the house. We'd been on a trip. She looked over to me just out of the blue. She pulled out her pad. She said, all right, we're going to do it right now. And I said, do what right now? She said, you've been talking about this for a long time. You've done nothing. I said, well, what do we need to do? She said, we're going to plan out your funeral service. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, it's kind of complicated. We got down to there to all the preachers, you know, and we got down to the pallbearers, Brother Charles, and, and she said, well, I said, well, maybe I, this, I want these six, and then everybody else, I said, we'll make them honorary pallbearers. She said, we're not going to say nothing about honorary. She said, it's going to take a dozen or more to carry you out. <laughs> well, we got to the music part of it, and she said, she reminded me, she said, do you still want that song sung at your funeral, the one that you've been talking about since... We were married in the late 70s. And I knew immediately the song that she was talking about, Brother Charles. You see, I don't think anybody's ever said it best when he said, I thank God for the mountains, and I thank him for the valleys, and I thank him for the storms that he's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Andre Crouch, I've learned to trust in God. I thought about that great Southern Gospel group you and I have heard many times. Nobody ever got a better word, I don't think, than the father of the Crab family when he was going through such dark possibilities in his life. And the Lord, he said, inspired him to pen these words. I'll just share with you the chorus that you're familiar with. Think of these words when he said, He never promised that the cross would not get heavy, nor the hill wouldn't be too hard to climb. He never said that victory would come without fighting, but he said help would be always on time. And when you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary, like he does so often, says, give in, just hold on. Somebody say, hold on, just hold on. Our Lord will show up and he'll help you through the fire again. Whew. Yea, though I walk through. Let me just close right here because I'm excited about you in the balcony, you down here on the floor, because with a crowd of good people of this new miracle gathering, I just feel in my heart there's some that come here today, the Lord's already been dealing with you. You found the end of your search for a friendly church right here. But you've come probably needing something more that even the best of churches can give you, something only the Lord can provide for you. I'm excited about hearing this sermon and giving you an opportunity because every one of us, like the song says, people need the Lord. And so can I close this sermon 
by introducing to you that third tremendous T word. David said, thou art with me. Woo! Every one of us could stand and testify this morning what thou hast meant for us. Mm. But can I just take the time to remind you good people the same thou that stepped out from behind the curtain of nowhere onto the platform of nothing. The same thou that spoke and turned chaos into creation. The same thou that turned the Red Sea into a roadway for the children of Israel. The same thou that turned a rock into a river for Moses, who turned a prison into a palace for Joseph. That same thou that showed up as the fourth man in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children. The same thou that took a den of lions and turned it into a den of deliverance for Daniel. The same vow that showed up one day in the form of a prophet to a widow woman who recently lost her husband and had lost everything she had and the creditors were knocking on her door about to take her two sons away. She was down to her last little pot of oil. She was going to make one more meal for her sons and herself. When thou showed up and turned those empty barrels into endless blessings. Thou who turned a shady lady at Sychar's well into a shining light. Who took a maniac in the graveyard cutting himself with stones and turned him into a missionary. Who took persecuting Saul and made him preacher Paul. The same thou that sits on his throne of this universe and governs the universe with the exquisiteness of a Swiss watch, whom the Bible says our very earth is his footstool. This same thou. inflexible in his justice is still intimate in his compassion that he would reach down right here in the Longview, Texas, Woodland Hills Baptist Church, seven plus billion upon the face of this earth, the same thou that would reach down this morning into your very heart and love you unconditionally like you've never been loved before. Woo! What a God. What a thou. David said, thou art with us. The thou that David's talking about, the thou that most of us have experienced in our life, He's the thou that has no rival equal to him. 
some of the greatest world philosophers known to man, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, a combined 110 years of philosophy, yet Jesus, only three and a half years, transcended their entire works and then some. No one is a rival equal to Jesus. No redeemer but Jesus. You're having Franklin Graham in your beloved city. Dr. Billy Graham had one of me and saved a couple. They were illiterate. They had bust in from the projects to the crusade. They got saved, gloriously saved. They got placed into a New Testament church locally. Both the husband and wife were baptized. The husband and wife, however, were illiterate. Couldn't read or write. The church where they became a member of was having a local revival themselves. The wife took ill. The husband was biting at the bits, ready to go to church. You couldn't run him off. You see, he never got over getting saved, amen? He went to church, but when he come home, his wife being ill, sitting in the living room, waiting upon his arrival, looked out the blinds and saw him coming there from the project house. He had lost his pep and his step. His head was down. She saw immediately that he was discouraged about something. He came in. She said, babe, what's wrong? What's wrong? He said, all the other members tonight at church, they had a coat on with letters on the coat, and I didn't have one. They were all talking about their coats. She was quick on her feet, and she thought, well, I can take care of that, honey. You've got some coats hanging up in the closet. The lady could sew a bit. The next morning, she got his coat, and she sat there in her living room of that project house. She gazed across the street there in the inner city. There were some storefronts across the street, and she, she saw some letters on a sign, and so she began to copy those letters off a stitch on the back of his jacket. And she finished it, and she gave it to him. He went to church that night. She was waiting with anticipation. She saw him coming down the sidewalk, and now he's got that pep in his step. Now he's bouncing, smiling from ear to ear. Now she could see the twinkle again in his eye. She met him at the door, and she said, well, how did they like your new jacket? He said, oh, babe, thank you, babe. They said, I had the best jacket of all of them, for she had copied the words under new management. Oh, somebody needs thou today. Last week I was in Broken Bowl, just stayed in Broken Bowl, revival of Southern Baptist Church of about 100 people, a little community called Golden. Came away from that revival on Wednesday night. Fifteen came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Fifteen per capita of a hundred people. What a tremendous movement of God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. You close your eyes. I didn't talk to Brother Hunt, nor Brother Aaron, nor anyone else about the invitation. what to expect. But I know these 
men of God, they're not bound to a bulletin, but they're bound as the Holy Spirit leads. Sometimes our plans may be changed like this message was today. But God, you've got so many good folks here this morning. Every one of them loved the Lord or they wouldn't be here today. But like in so many churches where I go, folks right here are prone to be hurting, prone to wonder, for some reason to leave the God we love. I've been there. This is the most sacred moment of their life right now. Lord, every time you preach those three and a half years, you always gave an invitation. You always invited me. You were there to comfort the brokenhearted, to heal the sick, to set the captives free. You were there to feed the multitude. And Lord, you're here today for every hurting heart. Folks, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not that kind of a preacher. I'm not going to come down where you're sitting. I'm not going to call you out by name. But oh, would you just you say, well, I don't know what to do, Brother Jim. I don't know what to say. You don't have to say or do anything right now. All that God requires is for you to recognize that you need Him today. Perhaps this is where you came. Not by choice or accident or happenstance, but God led you here. God knew this day was here for you before you were ever a twinkle in your mother and daddy's eye. God's providence. But you've got to make the choice. It's going to take a man's man, a lady's lady, to make that choice today. Now listen carefully, if you're here this morning and you're not 100% certain that you're going to go to heaven when God chooses to call you away from this walk of life, if you don't have the certainty, the assurance, I did a crusade, old man was one of many in the altar and he looked up to me and I asked him, why did you come down the aisle tonight? He said, you talked about 100% assurance. He said, I've known 99% for sure most of my adult life that I was going to go to heaven, but I've always been haunted, he said, by that 1%. And he said, I don't want to stand before Jesus and that 1% of uncertainty sends me to hell. I've often said it's better to be right twice than to be wrong once. Maybe you were saved when you were young, but you don't know for sure it's better to settle it again right now. Get you something substantially to stand on, to fight the devil. That you know you're going to go to heaven, that you belong to Jesus. If you're not for certain right now, would you do this? I'm going to pray with you, but the only way I'll know who you are is will you stand to your feet where I could see you. Stand up in this place. You're not 100% for certain. Stand up where I could see you. Anyone here this morning? 
What about you today? You're looking for that church home. As pastor, when he announced it, one of the other staff pastors invited you. You're looking for a church home. I'm not going to ask you to do that this morning, but I'd like to pray with you about it. God will give you peace. If God leads you to do it today, this church will receive you with open arms. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen, ma'am. Are there others? Amen, ma'am, in the balcony. Anyone else? Raise it where I could see it. You're looking for a church home. Amen, ma'am, down here below. Amen, ma'am. Are there others? Several hands. Father, God, you're moving upon people today. You're bringing their attention, their need to be a part of your body. Father, this is where you brought them. And I pray, Father, this is where you lead them. Perhaps today you've given them peace already. When the invitation begins, they'll just slip down, walk forward without ever saying a word. These counselors, they will ask the questions. And today will be a glorious day in their life. It'll be found in the will of God right here and right now. Thank you, Father, for these who have given me confidence to pray for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Now with every head bowed one more time, how many of you here tonight would be honest and say, I'm going through a valley of the shell of death. I'm going through some dark times in my life. Preacher, this has encouraged me. I want to remember these three words. Remember thou is with me. And if he got me in a valley, or if I got in a valley of my own, he's promised to get me through it. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Hands all over the sanctuary this morning. Amen. You know, this altar is a place where you can meet the Lord. I don't know if you're accustomed to coming. The Holy Ghost is down upon us. Revival happens when God comes down. How about God coming down in your life? Would you invite Him if you raised your hand right then? When we stand and begin this invitation, you come on down and you pray in this altar this morning. God's going to give you peace about the valley that you're traveling. He's going to encourage you that He's with you. and He'll never leave you. As we stand together, and as we begin this invitation, you come on. If you raised your hand, you come on right now. For Thou, O Lord, You art high Amen. above Amen. all the earth, Amen. all the earth. One of these pastors will greet you. You're looking for a church home. You come on right on. Amen. We've got time tonight, today. Come on. Respond to the Lord. are the days of Elijah. I'm not only looking for signs, I'm listening for the sound. He's coming again. Are you ready?